Hello, dudes, dudettes, duders, and everyone in between, and welcome to the Hollywood Fishbowl. I am and can only be your host, Jesse Kester. Thank you so much for joining once again to the exciting, thrilling, wonderful, fantastic, amazing, incredible show. Is that enough hype? Today, we are manifesting a promise long ago made, and that promise was to team up with Michael Weesey Productions and to do interviews with their authors. And this represents not the first interview with a Michael Weesey Productions author, but the manifestation of the partnership between Ken Lee over at MWP and me. And who is our guest, you ask? Well, thank you for asking, Hypothetical You. I do appreciate you. Our guest is Simone, and I am not even going to try the last name. You will hear him pronounce it, and you will see why I am manifesting my cowardice in a forthright fashion. Simone wrote the book, The Director's Six Senses, and it breaks down directing by, wouldn't you know what the six senses? Sight, smell, taste, touch, sound, and the nefarious sixth sense, which we will get into in this interview. It's it's a rollicking conversation. I really enjoyed this one. And you'll hear you'll hear a lot of new ideas being presented first time on the fishbowl, but you're also going to hear immigration. So get ready for that. But it's not irrelevant. I am not forcing my worldview onto the show. I'm inviting somebody else's worldview into the show. So you know what? I'd love to say that there's no more ado, but there's a little bit. You could like us. You could comment. You could subscribe. You could do all of those things. But the most important, the most treasured act that you, my dear podcast listener, could possibly do is bounce on over to iTunes and give us a five-star review. You heard me, right? One, two, three, four, five. Five-star review. Say some kind words about the show. They will be read on the air once they are published by iTunes because I appreciate any and all of you who take the time to say that you like the show. It helps with our ranking. And, you know, what, what, what are we if not algorithmically ranked beings? That's it. I'm out of ado. I give to you, Simone. Drops. Morpheus is fighting Neo. Hello and welcome to the Hollywood Fishbowl. I am and only can be your host, Jesse Kester. Today, we are joined by the one, the only, the illustrious... Simone Bartizaghi. Thank you so much. I never could have gotten your last name right on the first try if you had not. Give me it one more time. Simone Bartizaghi. Simone, that one I can do. That, yeah. one's, that one's within my, my capacity. <laughs> it's, it's, the last name is complicated also for the Italians, so don't worry. It's, uh, and Morpheus is done fighting Neo. Uh, so it's not a common... Last name? Well, not that much. Not okay. that much. It's from northern Italy, and even for the Italians, really, it's not that common and that easy to pronounce. So. And you are from northern Italy? Yes. We're yes. going to... Let's slow things down. We're getting Actually. way ahead of ourselves already. Uh, today, we do have Simone on the episode, and I'm very glad. Thank you so much for taking the time to come by. I Thank really you for inviting it. me. Today, we've got things I want to talk about. Mm-hmm. I want to talk about uh, an MBA background for a filmmaker. Okay. I have very specific questions about that, actually. I want, I want to talk about 
about immigration, mm -hmm. um, your experience, and I might talk about my, I'm an American, but I am having immigration experiences, uh, and I want to hear your perspective. And it was 2006 you immigrated, is that? Uh, 2004 when I came here, uh, but it, it took uh, um, four years to... Okay. go through the entire process oh so. we're gonna we're gonna talk yeah. about it we're yeah. definitely gonna talk about it then and of course we must we must talk about your book the director's uh, six senses we don't yeah. have to talk about these things in this order these are just <laughs> things i want to talk about while you're here today before we get into any of that before any of that can happen we do a segment that is called five and five i'm going to ask you five questions you have one minute to answer each question Five minutes, five questions, five and five. This is not my rule. This is Instagram's rule. Okay. They only allow one minute video <laughs> uploads. So that's, we try to get five good questions in at the beginning so that we have something for the Instagram and that we have a basic idea, a quick overview of who you are and how you see the world. Are you okay, okay with all of this? I'm ready. Awesome. Okay. <laughs> I, I've, I'm excited to hear you talk more and me talk less. You will have beeps that tell you when your time is up. Is that okay too? Okay. Perfect. All right. Then let's get right into five and five. That's a little quiet. Here we go. Question one, where did you grow up and how did that change who you are as an adult? Um, I grew up in Tuscany, in Italy, uh, right on the coast, uh, uh, near Florence. Florence is in inland and the city where I grew up is called Lido di Camaiore. It's close by to Pisa, Lucca, that are more famous cities. Um, and I think that uh, uh, one of the elements of that place uh, is that we have a long tradition with carnival. And in February, we have an incredible uh, series of festivities. And in some way, gets into your blood the fact that you need to take time to have fun. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you need to remember that life is uh, uh, something that you need to cherish and you need to figure out a way to enjoy. And even when life is tough, uh, you can make it uh, fun. Beautiful. I want to ask more questions, but we have five and four and five left. Okay. Question number two. What is the must-engage media, the movie, the book, the album, the TV show that opened up your brain to the secrets of the universe? Okay, um, 1978, because uh, that was when Star Wars came out in Italy, uh -huh. uh, one year later than uh, United States. Um, I was uh, uh, in a, a theater on the beach uh, in, uh, in Disney Camagliore, that hometown, and it was the first movie I ever saw in my life, and definitely shaped many beliefs that I have about life and about how to conduct yourself in life. And still today is one of my favorites, if not my favorite. Awesome. That's so sweet. I have a script I'll send you later that you might enjoy. <laughs> um, but this is not about me. This is about you. We'll leave it there uh, because four seconds left anyway. Uh -huh. All right. Question number three. You doing okay? Question number three, what is the greatest source of joy in your life? Oh, wow. Greatest source of joy. Um, I would say that there are many moments that I enjoy uh, doing things and discovering new things that I don't expect. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, but usually they are at their best when I can share them with my wife, when I can have those moments of um, revelation or enjoyment with uh, with my wife. They have a, a higher level of uh, importance and and they are treasure much more. How long have you been married? Uh, 20 years. That's awesome. I've got questions about that too. Um, you ready for the last one? We're, Go for you're, it. Your, your timing is good. Like you I'm come trying. five to seven seconds right under the clock. Last, no, number four. Uh, what gets under your skin? Hypocrisy. Ooh, that's a nice one. Yeah, definitely. I can't stand it. Um, I can stand when someone said something just because what they want to be polite. Mm-hmm. And uh, although I hate conflict, I hate when people start to argue in and don't listen to each other. At the same time, it gets under my skin when someone uh, pretend to like something or to say something just for convenience. Mm-hmm. Uh, hypocrisy is something that really I don't like. And uh, um, sometimes I see society... Uh, being pervaded with it right now. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And you came to L.A. where there's a lot of, like, kind words said yes. just to keep the, the engine greased and going. Absolutely, yeah. That's where probably... In Italy, I ne- never felt it as much as here. <laughs> we got one more question. And I remember that question. Number five, advice, advice, advice. What is the best advice you've received in your life and what advice do you want to give the world? The best advice, um, I think, is that uh, um, when there is something that you want to do and you don't do it, uh, you really don't apply yourself to it, um, there is something that, uh, all the excuses that you can find, you cannot say they were right at that moment because probably in those moments when you procrastinated, there were the right reason to procrastinate. But then if you start to accumulate and you make months and years of not doing something that you really wanted to do, um, those become excuses. They're not mm-hmm. reasons anymore. So try to be objective about your reasons and see if they're actually excuses. Um, and I would say uh, the suggestion for anybody else is believe in yourself. Something good will come out of it. I'm turning off the timer. I'd rather just listen to your answers <laughs> than have things beeping at us. Oh, and we do have we have celebration music for uh, five and five. You ready for the celebration? Go for it. The end. We're done with that part. Okay, one more in there. Sorry about that. We made it. (laughs) Yes, congratulations. I liked your fifth answer, the the acknowledging that, uh, what was it? that Believe in yourself and something will come. Before that even, it was that in the moment that you decide to procrastinate, you feel like you're doing the right thing, and it might be the right thing until you look back and see too much procrastination. But uh, I I think it is important to acknowledge that feeling that um, everybody thinks that what they're doing in that moment is the right thing for them to do. They've found some way to explain it to themselves, to justify it, whether it's good or bad. It, they they think it's the thing they should be doing in that moment. Yes, definitely. And it, it's uh, one of the interesting things for me uh, because 
I have been and I'm still a procrastinator on many things mm-hmm. is always trying to have some sort of an alarm sometimes going off and telling you oh, look backward you maybe have spent too much time um, thinking about the moment and thinking about the priorities of that one minute and then all of a sudden you discover that many things and many opportunities gone by uh, and uh, you don't even remember the reasons anymore. You just mm-hmm. know that something you really wanted to do, uh, you didn't do it. And so, or it's something that really, in reality, it, you're lying to yourself. You really don't want to do. And yeah, so that's another yeah, yeah, situation. Yeah, yeah. But in general, you know, for writers and for artists, there are these moments of fear sometimes. And we hide that fear of, uh, producing our own material uh, by um, not doing it. And we can find many excuses for that. That, yeah, nothing. Okay, with writing, you're staring at a blank sheet of paper. Yeah. That's very intimidating to start off. Um, and with writing, almost anything that's not writing, you can convince yourself is maybe going to lead to inspiration. Exactly. And research, lots of research. Yeah, 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 yeah. You can call all, going down to the grocery store and getting a cup of coffee is maybe going to be the thing that inspires you. So you can justify almost any behavior as a writer. Yeah. I, what I mean to say is I have justified almost any behavior as a writer, hoping it leads to inspiration. I agree, I agree. Now, there's a feeling, I looked at, I looked at some of your work online, um, and there's a feeling like there's a very, there's a very organic feeling to your work. I, I might be wrong, but it feels like projects that you conceive of, you write, you execute, and you finish. That, Not that you're most... the only person on the project, but it feels very organic and personal. Is that a correct read? Uh, yes, I would say that most, if not, I would say 90% of my work really comes from my own inspiration and my own uh, need to, uh, or desire to tell stories or to share point of view or experiences. Um, I think that even eventually when I worked on something that is not mine, it wasn't generated by my brain or my fears, mm-hmm. um, I'm able to <laughs> try to infuse a lot of my point of view and my uh, ideas in, in that project. Um, when I when I did my last movie run, uh, it was totally based on, on my... Um, uh, interest for a certain subject matter and for a certain kind of message that I wanted to uh, discover. Is Ron the the parkour one? Parkour movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What what was the little 3D? Is it in 3D or is it is... actually we shot it in 3D? What what kind? What two reds or what? yes, okay. we actually had uh, two reds uh, and uh, with a uh, uh, beam splitter. Okay, so it was uh, a full package of real shooting in 3D. Yeah, and uh, as we discovered. Um, we were one of the few actually production that really ever made a full feature in uh, in 3D. There aren't many that do. They all no, do the the post the conversion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They all do the conversion so much that actually that little movie won uh, festivals uh, both for best 3D actually, best stereography, yeah, and uh, for best directing. Why did you make that choice? Was it a story that needed to be? It looked it looked like it would make sense in two D. Why did you feel compelled to do it in three? Well, that's uh, that's the part of uh, is the least of the inspiring part because that was business. That was a request from one of the distributor 
to uh, they would invest money if we were shooting in 3D. Okay. Uh, unfortunately, time wasn't at our favor when we started the process and while we were writing the, the script, 3D was becoming a big deal. Mm-hmm. But by the time the movie was released, 3D wasn't anymore a big deal. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and actually, we we paid a little bit of consequences. There is a some technicality about it, but. When you're shooting 3D and you're really shooting real 3D as we did it mm-hmm. uh, with the 3D camera on set, with, you know the t- double lenses. Um, and when you're uh, watching playback, you've got the glasses on. We, you have the special monitors. It's like it's yeah. it, the whole workflow changes completely, because of 3D. Completely. And one of the interesting thing is you really uh, well. You know, we were on rooftop at night in, in New York in January, mm-hmm. all with sunglasses. Yeah, so it yeah. was kind of ridiculous when you watch the behind the scenes. It's like what they're doing. Well, we were watching these monitors in 3D uh, as we we were shooting. But there are two consequences with that. One is it's a slower process on set. Mm-hmm. And the slower process is not much about um, uh, the technical element of, of the 3D, the shooting in 3D, but is other uh, services like changing a lens. When you change a lens, you just not change a lens to one camera. You need to change to both. Yep. And then you need to spend time realigning yep, for yep. the 3D so the pointing, conversion. So the, the Exactly. Eye line matches up at the right exactly. depth. Exactly. So that, instead of taking three minutes, could take 25. Yeah. And yeah. so the amount of time that really uh, it's dedicated to um, actually servicing the project instead of shooting the process project is, is longer. And so take, take away time and, and it's very frustrating. Yes. And on the other side, there is a, something that uh, I learned actually by, by shooting in 3D. Um, the aesthetic of a 3D frame, of an image in 3D, pay off very well when there is something uh, that uh, works in the Z-axis, so in the depth. Yeah, so someone yeah. running towards the camera or away from the camera or a room that is very deep is something that um, is uh, uh, enhanced with the, with, the, with the 3D experience. Yeah. Uh, and so when you watch the movie in 3D, there are certain scenes and certain actions that are designed because they were in 3D and, and you experience it that way. Well, when you watch them in 2D, they are not at all interesting. Um, a running sequence, for instance, is very exciting in 3D when the character is running towards you, but in 2D it means nothing. Yeah. In 2D, the most exciting sequence is when you are running parallel with the character yep, yep, and yep. All, everything is blurry. The and stuff get, in the foreground is exactly. whipping by at 100 miles an hour. And, and you get a feel of speed and intensity, yeah. right? Well, it's the opposite. So, uh, we figured out, uh, you know, early on that when we were shooting, something that looks excited on the monitor in 3D didn't look exciting in the monitor in 2D. Yeah, and yep. so we, are, we had to sometimes compromise, thinking, well, so there, will, there will be people that watch it in in the theater and they will be excited in this way. But then there is the old time when someone will watch it in, in 2D on the TV and, you know, won't mean much to them. So you need to decide on, on which... Uh, uh, media, you know, in reality, you wanna you wanna have the best result of the movie, and that's also another frustration because 
in some way, you need to compromise the vision because you cannot go all 100% on the 3D yep. part because in reality, not everybody will watch it in 3D. Yep, and the vision's already feeling compromised on set because a lens change is taking 20 minutes. Correct. And, and, and hard drives instead, are filling up twice as fast. Instead, instead of having five setups, I, I can do only three. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Change quite a bit, yeah. Yes, um, is it possible to see that one in 3D? Yes. yes where, where, how? Well, th there is a, the Blu-ray version is in 3D. Okay. And the DVD version is 2D. Uh, and also, uh, I think uh, right now it's on every platform, Netflix, uh, Amazon, uh, Hulu. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, um, I think that on Hulu and Amazon, you can actually stream it also in 3D. That's awesome. So you, you, can, you need the glasses and the TV. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you can watch it in that way. Yeah, uh, it's it's rare that we get a director of 3D films in, and I think like the only the only way it's viable 3D is in something like uh, Avatar, where eighty percent of the film is in computer. Well, like the, he can shoot the other stuff with two cameras because it's only uh, it's a small percentage of the actual production is. But that, that's the point. I mean, even when we were talking about the, the project and we started to receive these, you know, uh, very complimenting messages from people that knew about 3D and they were appreciative about what we did. Mm -hmm. We realized that actually, you know, the most famous director in 3D at that time was uh, Cameron with Avatar. He didn't shoot in 3D. <laughs> he was shot in in, in digital in in, in animation, yeah. right? Yeah, so yeah, yeah. The whole thing actually wasn't done. Uh, the effort that we put in the project was actually even much more than what he did for the, yeah. for the 3D yeah. accomplishment. So, no, from uh, what you described, it, it it doesn't sound like it's viable. It's all uh, making films is already an uphill battle to double the number of cameras for yeah. an effect that compromises half the audience's viewing experience. Yeah, it's it's quite complicated. At that time, the, the, the market seems to go in that way. Yeah. And actually, when we did the early test, uh, it was very exciting because we, we started to see the material and uh, for the kind of action that we are doing, kind of made sense. The, mm -hmm. This gigantic leap that these athletes yeah, make, yeah. they were beautifully shot and it, it was a fantastic approach. But then once you realize, okay, I need to think about how the audience will watch it, then yeah. you start to have some uh, uh, thinking in, in the idea of, I go all full on everything that is um, an experience for 3D viewer, but then at that point you compromise everybody else that won't watch it. So you need to yeah. stay in the yeah. middle. And already that, that part is frustrating. Let's go back to the MBA. Okay. Is that okay? Yes, of course. Uh, because um, one thing I think a lot is I went to film school. Mm -hmm. um, and now here I am in LA competing against hundreds of hundreds of hundreds of other people who went to film school. And a question that always comes up in my mind is, would it have been smarter of me to get a business degree knowing that my passion is for film, that film is never going to leave my life. No matter what happens, I will always be making movies, watching movies, thinking about movies. Um, I, I wonder if I, if I cut my competitive edge by being more like everyone else who is out here. Would you trade your MBA for a film degree? Would you give up the, what is it, six years, eight years that you spent uh, studying? It's for four years. Uh, well, yeah, it's four years in, in Italy. So you spent uh, four years studying business. Yeah. Would you trade that for a film degree? No. Or does it, okay. No. Okay. So I was right. <laughs> yeah. No, it's, uh, well, it, it, you know, it's a little bit, um, 
my career is kind of strange because uh, when I when I was studying for for you know economics and business, um, I didn't have any ambition to become a filmmaker. Mm-hmm. Uh, I since I was very little, I always loved movies and. Uh, writing mostly, uh, telling stories, uh, and I was writing little short stories uh, uh, that you know my parents would read or some friends would read. But I never believed that there was a career behind it. I mm-hmm. never, I never even imagined that someone can make a living out of it. Um, and uh, uh, I decided that uh, uh, in Italy you have. Um, a kind of a um, problematic uh, way of, of go for the education in some way for me. Uh, when you are 13, 14, they force you to make a decision in terms of the kind of education that you want. And pre- basically that the decision is you want an education that will lead, they will force you to go to colleges and universities because it's a kind of humanistic uh, education. So you study math, you study literature, but you don't learn a real job. Or you want to go to a more practical school where you learn accounting or other things mm-hmm. that you can apply immediately just in case you don't want to go to college. Mm-hmm. And this structure worked very well in the 50s and the 60s when we needed people to work. But nowadays, everybody goes to colleges doesn't make any sense. The problem is that that decision that you make when you're still so young really affects your career, educational career. So that at one point, there are certain things that you don't really learn at all if you decide to go on a more technical school. And at that time, I, I choose a technical school. I choose uh, mm-hmm. to go for a school that is, is uh, about accounting that I hated. I, I was really, I couldn't stand that, that matter. Um, but I was fortunate that I had uh, a very good teacher in literature and history, uh, a very good teacher in uh, information technology, computer programming, that in some way, Open my brain to the fact that I love literature, I love story, I love writing, but in some way also my brain was very uh, um, able to organize sequence of instruction and make them efficient for a computer to work. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was kind of a strange combination. Not not, not everybody, not all of my classmates had the, that, that ability. Uh, and that started to give me the sense that probably um, I need to, with the desire to fulfill my uh, uh, abilities, I, I needed to expand my interest. And I went to the college that I, uh, it was destined after accounting, that is economic and business. And even there, I, I love what I was doing but uh, I was always expanding on new territories. Uh, I was the first student that started to study a class at engineering and incorporate it in my curriculum just because I wanted to explore a certain kind of uh, matters in terms of organization and and, and mostly how to deal with uh, um, uh, efficiency and motivating uh, workers. So what I did, I, I started to create a, a program uh, that was fitting my uh, strange skills in some way. Mm-hmm. And as soon as I graduated, I started to work as a consultant uh, in organization very quickly. I mean, in a matter of three, two months, I started to work and and uh, travel around Italy, applying this strange set of skills where I could really 
talk technically uh, about business and organization and economics, but at the same time have the empathy to understand when a teamwork wasn't working because of relationship. There's the bump. And we uh, always wait for some sorry. bump. No, 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 no. It's my I favorite it. part of the show. It's uh, my favorite uh, part of the show. It's always there. You yep. put it there on purpose. Oh, oh yes. Oh yes. Oh, absolutely <laughs> on that's, purpose. Uh, I'll say I'll pay more attention then. No, no, uh, no. Please don't. Please the, punch it. The pens are there for two. <laughs> yeah. Uh, everything is designed to be a disaster okay. for everyone. <laughs> Makes all sense. So you're you're working around Italy at that point, applying yeah. applying uh, an artist's mind to technical correct, works. Correct. And the more I was working, the more I realized that actually my ability was to understand people. Well, when I was going into a company that was asking me to help them for their efficiency or for other things, mm -hmm. uh, very quickly I would understand their relationship and that discovered that 90% of their problems weren't technical, but were about who they were and how they were relating with each other. And in kind of my smooth approach would help them uh, start to talk to each other more and start to mm -hmm. understand each other. And all of a sudden also their profit gets better because they lose less time yeah, in, yeah. in doing things that are not, not convenient for the company. And at the same time, um, you know, uh, I tried to convince myself that I didn't want to be creative, that um, uh, I stopped writing, I stopped... Uh, so you're uh, still fighting the in, the film. Film is not uh, on the not, radar not on right, right now. now. I'm, I'm 25, 26. Okay. I, I got married. Uh, I we With my wife, we moved to Milan, to north of Italy. Mm -hmm. uh, we both works. And uh, in some way, uh, the creative side, it was always there for me. Uh, I tried to keep it on, 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 on the side as much as possible because, uh, you know, I was an adult. Uh, I was responsible. I wanted to have a, a working uh, career. But then on the side, I was doing role-playing games. Uh, on the side, I was, you know, uh, our ritual was one or two movies per week mm -hmm. uh, in a beautiful theater called Arcadia near Milan. And... Uh, so I, I, I needed something to re release my creativity. Mm -hmm. I was editing mm -hmm. our vacations. Uh, I spent yep. two weeks editing our honeymoon and I couldn't stop doing that. That's how it things. starts. <laughs> and then I started to buy a few books on screenwriting. Mm -hmm. um, and then the, the, the biggest steps were, were two, actually. The first one was uh, my wife recognizing that I was always in, in the film section of, of the bookstores or always talking mm -hmm. about movies, having the news coming and always reading the part about movies and stuff. Um, she uh, actually gave me a gift and that gift that year was uh, uh, a little school in Milan that just opened. It was a, a tiny film school that once a week for, for three hours on, on Wednesday night, you would go there and by the end of the fourth month, you would shoot a short. Mm-hmm. And uh, I went there to do screenwriting, but um, because I already read some books and I thought that I could do it. But then I was captured by the directing part. No, the screenwriting, that's like the, the easiest one to convince yourself you can do. Like, I can just write in my spare time. It doesn't cost exactly, anything. Exactly. Uh, nobody has to know. Uh, but okay. if, you're, if you're going into directing or cinematography, you need a team. You yeah. need to have... And it's you harder expose to... expose yourself yeah, much it's, more. It's harder to convince yourself that you can exactly. do it privately as a hobby. Uh, as a screenwriter, I, I started at that time to write something. And I, literally, I was writing 
between uh, you know our jobs or, or in the mm-hmm. evening when I was uh, waiting for my wife to come from work or at night, uh, lots of nights, <laughs> pretending to go to sleep and then uh, sneaking out and keep writing. Um, but the the real change came with that school because I was the worst student in that school. I was uh, really uh, at the end of the program. My short didn't win any of the prizes, <laughs> and you know, it, it kind of like in, in soccer that you give the little trophy to everybody. Yeah, everybody yeah. got something, but I didn't. Uh, but I still remember very well that the first night, the first day that I I said action in my life. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was for a little tiny scene that we are testing and I remember there were like 30 people in the room that it was kind of as big as this and and everybody pretending to know what we were doing Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. screaming at each other and yelling and at one point the first assistant director said okay everything is ready you know on you to to say whatever you need to say to the actors and at that moment when I said action everybody got quiet Everybody, it was this kind of incredible silence because everybody was respecting the new life that was coming, uh, it was happening in front of us. And I got this feeling of kind of a a ritual, kind of a religious moment where Mm -hmm. our life didn't matter anymore. What mattered was whatever we were creating. And the sense of creation really uh, fulfilled me a lot. And I felt, wow, this is... uh, this is something that uh, I want to do for the rest of my life. This is, you know, the best feeling ever. Uh, and of course, you know, things don't don't change in a matter in a matter of a minute. It takes yeah, a yeah. You just get a taste of it, though. Exactly. It's enough exactly. to get you addicted. That when it does go quiet, when everything yeah. stops, and it's just time for the performance and the camera to roll. It's an yeah. amazing feeling. Yeah. It's really wild that yeah. moment. Yeah, yeah, it's a, it's addictive. Yes. It's oh addictive. yeah. Uh, have you seen the movie Living in Oblivion? Yes, of course. They, the, yes. the way they show silence at the end of that yes. film, it's the most beautiful moment yes. in, in filmmaking film they, movies. They captured exactly what, what, what it that, means. Yep, yeah. That silence is so beautiful. Uh, right. Oh boy, I love, I love movie talk. So <laughs> um, did you know that your first movie was bad? Like going in, did you know like this is just not gonna cut? Well, no, no, I, I didn't know. I, I, I actually... Um, uh, strangely enough, uh, uh, when after the school, uh, we uh, was kind of, uh, I was like, okay, great. I, I know that I cannot be a filmmaker. I, I, I give up. At least mm-hmm. I, I know that I'm not good at it. But you know, you know, it's yeah, not easy yeah, yeah, to, yeah. to meet something like that to yourself. So I started to download stuff from from internet, uh, from actually some internet site in the United States. And what I discovered was that. What I did wasn't that bad. There were, you know, <laughs> yep. certain kind of things actually were interesting challenges mm-hmm. that not everybody might appreciate it, but in in some, uh, you know, in an educated part of the world, uh, uh, they might have been uh, uh, interesting. And mm-hmm. so I re-edited the footage, actually. I cut out a few things that I learned that weren't very good. Um, and I sent to that same shot to festivals. And I started to be accepted in festivals with that shot. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, because I was getting more and more stubborn, uh, I came up with a, a little tiny idea one afternoon in, in a... Uh, while I was at work, actually, with a client, I came up with this idea and I went home and my wife was away from, for, from home for work. And I thought, wow, that idea, actually, I can do it just by myself. I can do it just one camera, 
six or seven sets and I'm done. So I went to sleep and I couldn't sleep because I was keep thinking it's not that difficult. So at two in the morning I get up and I rearrange some furniture. Uh, I use a little uh, tray with wheels as a, as a tripod and I put my consumer camera on top of it and I shot myself uh, doing some silly stuff at home. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the story was uh, in some way about um, a, a quote that I, that I love that says, uh, um, uh, you need to have a chaos inside in order to give birth to a dancing star. You need uh, to have what inside? A chaos. Chaos, oh, yes, 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 yep, 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 chaos yep. inside. Yep. And um, uh, it's from Nietzsche. And I, I, it kind of always described me. It always described my way of living or, or what I felt inside. And so I figured out a way to um, represent that that concept mm-hmm. with a visual little story, a one minute, one minute of story. And um, when I shot it, I was kind of like, oh, now I'm going to have fun with this. And I started to edit. And it was my little homage to myself in some way. It was kind of a funny thing. Um, and then I remember uh, my father's birthday was coming. So I thought I'd give it to him, this, this mm-hmm. video. And I remember my father's reaction was like, well, you know, it's great. I love it. I'm just wondering when you will decide what you want to do in life because, you know, you're doing this job and you're good at it. And uh, sometimes actually we we cross paths in in that consulting work. And on the other side, you do these things. And, And I realized in that moment that, uh, the assumption that actually it's a lot of part of the Italian culture that when you start your life in one direction, you keep working the same job and you live in the same house for the longest time and uh, that is very traditional in Italy. Maybe it didn't belong to me. Mm-hmm. I could kind of escape that pattern. And, uh, you know, a few years, a couple of years later, there was this festival in Italy, the Milan International Film Festival, that had a kind of unique prize that year. And there was a special competition for young filmmakers that they want to apply. And uh, the the prize was the full tuition for 12 months of education at the Los Angeles Film School here in LA. Mm-hmm. So they would pay the $34,000 Wait a minute, tuition. wait a minute. Are you going to do a natural transition into the immigration conversation soon? Uh, not yet. Okay, not yet. but it's coming. Uh, it's, it's, we, I can we smell it. Soon. We come soon. But the, the result was, I actually sent that shot, uh, the, mm-hmm. the one that I did at home by myself, at that point, I already did other two or three, and I won a couple of festivals with my shorts that I was shooting on on a Sunday with some friends, but mm-hmm. they, were, they were doing well. <clears throat> and then with that one that I shot by myself at home, I sent it and I said, listen, this is not my technical, the best technical shot, but this you can see who I am. Mm-hmm. And because that festival was, uh, you had to send also a letter of, of uh, presentation, a couple of letter recommendation. It was a, a package to prove who you were and why you deserve those money to, to come here mm-hmm. and study. Um, I I applied uh, with, with the shirt that I thought represent me the most and, and I won and that's how we got here. Okay. So you come over here, uh, academic visa for one year mm-hmm. and then what what's the four year process? Like what... <laughs> What is that? Well, the the, the, the four year actually it's probably 
Easier to say that it was a 14 years process. Um, don't say that. Please don't say that. Okay, uh, so my wife is living out of country. We're trying to get her a visa. Uh, uh, oh, no, been, no, 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 no. I don't need a 14-year no, no, no. separation it's from a, my it's, wife. It's a 14-year process because it took 14 years to also make some you know, family and personal decisions. Last okay. August, we became a citizen. Congratulations. So, so that's why it took 14 years to okay. close that cycle yeah, completely. Yeah. Yeah, uh, but what happened was that I, at the end of the of the uh, while we were here, mm-hmm. actually. Uh, so and for was, the first year, when, as a student, I was or? here as a student on okay. one visa. Uh, my wife is not the kind of person that likes to not work. She she loves working. She mm-hmm. loves uh, really uh, be committed and. So when she had to take a leave of absence from her work in Italy and she was here, she, she didn't like the idea to just have a vacation for 12 months. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So she started to apply for some for some jobs and actually quite quickly she found a job. And so um, once she found a job, she got an H-1 visa. Mm-hmm. And so that H-1 visa would extend my visa for, for a few more months. And so what happened was uh, I extended my O1 with the um, CPT is called or something like that. That is um, uh, allows the student to stay here longer after they finish their program, so that they can apply to work. They can see if they can do something. Mm-hmm. And so with these two program, uh, my wife could stay with her each one. I could stay with the with that program for a training, pretty much. And by the end of that, I. My wife got renewed for her H1, and I uh, got actually a O1 visa for as an artist. Mm-hmm. Because actually, the the student visa was the B1, I think, or the B2, it was a different kind of visa. The O1, I got it um, uh, when I was actually uh, hired to direct my first feature. Uh, the company sponsored me for my uh, O1, it is the artist visa mm-hmm. that is approved by the DGA and the MPTP uh, for people that in some way they have talent and they deserve it, that yeah. kind, of, that yeah. kind of approach. Um, and so at this point, we are three three years into since we got here. Yeah, yeah. And at that point, I have an artistic visa that allowed me to work and to move from one project to another. Do you have to renew that every year or? Well, it gets renewed by project. Okay. So, uh, so once one project is over, you yeah, have to find yeah, another one. Someone else. That was fortunate enough that the first production company needed, had actually based on the, the feature that we did, also wanted to develop a TV series and a web series based on the same feature. Mm-hmm. So they sponsored me for multiple years because we are working on this, on this project, we are writing script, we are constantly looking for the financing part and so forth. So I was lucky enough to have that process going on. Yeah. And then when the green card came in through um, my wife's side of the of the. Uh, of her career at that point there was no need anymore for any sponsoring because with a green card you have the opportunity to to work and uh, be independent by by the project so th- it, it was a series of steps kind of like in some way leapfrog and leapfrog exactly, exactly. this she's got a visa for a while so you have to get the next visa exactly. while she's got and hers and then she has to get hers while you've got yours in some way from from the idea to stay here for 12 months as a vacation we ended up, you know, moving here, and and now mm-hmm. we are 
American citizen, so changed everything. How does it how how does it feel to be living in America as an immigrant right now? <laughs> um, well, one of the, one of the reason why we decided actually to apply for citizenship because we we didn't have to. You yeah. Know, after once you have a green card, you have most of the rights uh, um, and most of the uh, besides voting and a few other things at least you don't need to go to jury duty uh, that's uh, one of the advantages <laughs> of being only on a green card um, but in general we felt that we um, uh, now we are living here we are you know literally spending our money and our life here mm-hmm. and our future we, we see it here and we realized that we we weren't contributing as, as a citizen because we we couldn't we we weren't citizen, so we decided that we wanted to be more proactive in terms of you know uh, having the right to vote, have the, the opportunity to deal with the community around us, and, and mm-hmm. contribute with activities and, and our services. And we felt that in order to that to do that at the full extent, uh, we need to become a citizen, without you know uh, forgetting where we are coming from. But with the idea of with our background, with our history, with our cultural background, we can actually contribute to uh, the society here. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's kind of tied in with the, with you know what we feel about the fact that in some way, uh, actually, was what was what Saturday uh, during the the ceremony that was very, very emotional. You know, you go through the immigration process and it's all bureaucracy, right? Mm-hmm. You, you start with an ambition and a dream eventually to become a citizen, to become American or to be American in a, you know, more um, uh, spiritual way, if you want, whether you're a citizen or not. But then the process is very bureaucratic and, and lots yes, it is. of, yes, it it, is. it's designed to discourage you. Yes, it and does. So yes, it does. The, the day comes of, of uh, the ceremony and you go there and you have this kind of feeling of, okay, finally it's over. But you think mostly about the bureaucracy. You think mostly about the, the mm-hmm. journey and you forget about the original inspiration. But then when you get into that room and you have um, on the walls all the all the countries from everybody's coming from, mm-hmm. and there are 111 countries from all over the world, mm-hmm. and there are 400,000 people in that room um, celebrating the same dream that you had, and mm-hmm. you look around there, you know, it's not cheesy, but it's real. You had different colors, different uh, tradition, different culture. And there are, I don't think there are any other country in the world that they have such an amount of diversity. Uh, and uh, I remember the, the speech that the, uh, the judge said was, you know, you're coming here, so remember to respect the law of, you know, of, of America. But remember also that the best way for you to contribute to our country is not forget where you're coming from. The best way for you to contribute to and to enrich this country is to bring those cultural elements, bring your tradition, 
and share them with others. Don't impose them. Don't force others to like them. But mm-hmm. and of course, respect the the law and the rules. But at the same time, be willing to share them. And in that way, you will see that you you will find others that are willing to share with you their own tradition. Mm-hmm. And this mixing is what makes this country strong. And really, in in a matter of a couple of hours sitting there you are um, re-immersed in that enthusiasm of that dream that you had when you wanted to become an, an American. And uh, I think it's very powerful, actually, to remember that aspect of, in some way, this is an inspiring country from for every other country in the world. Uh, and one of the things that makes this country so inspiring is the fact there are certain kind of principles of life that are applied here daily that in many parts of the world you cannot apply. And they are just really um, uh, forbidden in certain cases. In other cases, they're not just part of their culture. They're not just part of the, mm-hmm. the way they're living. And for the people that are coming here, most of the time it's because what they see in the image or the American brand is uh, something that they would like to be part of. It's not that they're coming here to abuse it or steal it. They're coming here because they want to be part of it. We want They want to be part of that world and they want to com- be committed to that world. And I think that, you know, nowadays the, the, uh, sometimes we forget the origin of that dream. Uh, when 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 you think about the American dream in terms of what it means around the world, um, it's still a beacon, it's still a brand, it's still something that represents something very important. And nowadays, uh, we are trying to say it's not real, it doesn't exist or, or it doesn't belong to, to you, when actually I think that the power of it is a beacon for everybody. Uh, and also, I think that it's based on one important principle, uh, in some way, is based on the fact that um, we can be better, we can make our life better, we can contribute to make someone else's life better, we can have dreams and we can aspire to do things, and there is nothing wrong with that. Uh, there are countries where when you t- use the word dream, uh, most of the people around you make fun of you because you think you are just someone that doesn't keep your, your feet enough on the ground or you're not rational mm-hmm. enough. And unfortunately, one of those countries is Italy now that is so culturally depressed exactly because of this pessimism. Uh, when we came here, we encountered lots of optimism, lots of people believing that they can achieve things that they couldn't achieve in their own country or they couldn't achieve in other moments of their life. And this is inspiring for you because you are surrounded by good energy, right? Mm-hmm. You are surrounded by someone that really shares those, those values. Um, I truly believe that the, the American dream is actually something that unfortunately we call it American because in some way it seems that it is related to a place. Mm-hmm. But well, actually, we have good branding here. Yeah, it's yeah, it's so not it's a surprise a, that we no, would we, brand a dream, the, the universal dream exactly. as ours only. Absolutely. But as you said, it's the universal dream. Yep. And that's number two. I love it. Don't worry. You're not in any trouble. Uh, so the, it's a universal dream. Yeah, so, yeah. You know, the Irish, the Italians, the Chinese, everybody has that dream to fulfill something in their life that is important. Um, in some way, America was able to brand it, but mm-hmm. also was able to show 
to the entire world that actually it's true, it's doable. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, I think that um, uh, the, the thing that I would say, and I always say when I go back to Italy, I talk to my friends, is if there is something I learned there is uh, if you have a dream and you believe in it, there are more chances to make it happen than if you don't dream at all. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, so uh, have those dreams and try to fight for them because that's really what makes life worth living. Uh, and in some way, someone criticized me because they we were telling me, oh, you, you escaped from Italy to, you know, to make your dream come true. And I was like, well, here uh, it was almost forbidden to dream. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the same people that now they're uh, t- celebrating me for what I've done, they were the ones telling me, don't even go, it will never happen. Mm-hmm. So I like the idea to, in some way, represent someone that can inspire others mm-hmm. in at least trying in, in this journey. I love interviews where I ask one question and I get 20 so minutes of solid with, gold with me, answer. I love it. I love it. You make my job so easy. With me, it's not a problem if you don't no, stop me. No, you're gold. Um, uh, the director's Sixth Senses, the book published by MWP Michael Weiss Productions. Uh, how'd this thing come about? How did you get your first book published? Was this your idea, their idea? How did my it come idea. to life? Okay. Yeah. Um, you pitched it to them or were you pitching yeah. it around town or was did you go straight to MWP? Uh, yeah, I pretty much went straight. I went to Focal Press and, and mm-hmm. WP. Um, well, the, the, the first thing was uh, um, I... Um, I studied filmmaking. I, I, you know, I started to do be to be a filmmaker in some way with those little shorts, without any formal education. Because mm-hmm. the reality, I didn't learn much in that school. So uh, I, I would say it was all instinct. So when I got here and uh, the Los Angeles Film School, they tried to in, install in my brain some more formal and and you know technical education. Um, I acquired part of it, but I was still basically trying to really acquire things that uh, it takes years and years in in just 12 months. Mm -hmm. And in my perspective, I had only those 12 months. I didn't think that I was going to stay, right? Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. I had only those 12 months. So those 12 months were the most intense learning curve Mm -hmm. that I had in my life. It's like those contests where uh, as much food as you can put in your shopping cart in one (laughs) minute, you can take home for free. You're like, I got 12 months to fill up this shopping cart and you're just running down the aisle, scooping it in. That's what I You know, my my wife is is really sent because for 12 months she didn't see me pretty much. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. It sounds like she's very uh, indulgent and tolerant of you, (laughs) like waking up at one in the morning to shoot a video of yourself. Yeah, I, I, I... I very. Um, Did she know what she was getting into when she married you? Were you always this she way? Knew. I, okay. I, don't, I don't think she she knew the extent. Okay. Uh, I remember she she wrote me something very kind when uh, we were start dating. Uh, I discovered actually that <laughs> it's such a silly story, but uh, she knew me before I knew her. Mm-hmm. I was the, um, the 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 head of the. Um, uh, chief editor, I don't know how you call it here, of the uh, school newspaper. Mm-hmm. And in Italy, 
we don't have school newspaper. I invented it by copying, you know, American movies. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, and so I was writing articles on every month on this newspaper. And I discovered later on that one of those articles, she kept it in her bedroom. She was really? So what was, by, what, she was offended? Of, affected. Oh, affected. affected. Okay. What was the article about? It was about, uh, um, I was accusing the teacher to cheating. <laughs> oh my God! Uh, so you went hard as a journalist. Oh yeah, you were yeah. you were really doing yes. the investigative yeah. work as a student. Yeah, I was. Uh, uh, we were we were brutal, mm -hmm. uh, but I think we were honest uh, in, in what we are saying, and and some of the teacher actually told us that we were spot on on, on what was happening. So, uh, but when I met her, uh, we were in the same high school, but we never met. Uh, I met her in, in college mm -hmm. uh, and then when I shared with her other little stories and my little writing that I was doing at the time and she wrote something that I still remember she wrote uh, uh, Simone is a common name that belongs to a person that is not common keep writing so that people can keep dreaming that's uh, too sweet. Yeah, it was uh, uh, it was something really. Yeah, and when I discovered she had something I wrote, even you know, hanging in the bedroom, I was like, "That's it, it's her." I don't need to look further. Yeah, yeah, I'm yeah, done yeah. Here. Um, and uh, it's been like that all, all our life. So, mm -hmm. Trying her trying to cope with also her big mistake because she sent she was the one that sent me to that school for the first time. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. that first night that I said the action is in some way her fault or yeah, her yeah. gift. But it's it's the the thing. My wife is also very supportive and just loves to see me do the things I love. Nothing in the world is better than having somebody who enjoys Absolutely. seeing you enjoy life and it, yeah it's such such a gift such a blessing uh on the book i just want to mention this when i when i finished the the school and i started to you know try to figure out what to do in in in, in this town mm -hmm. um in some way the school were keep calling me back to do something um, I did a, a little documentary called Impressions at 24 frames per second mm -hmm. that is on YouTube now that is uh, kind of my little homage to shooting on film. I saw that one, uh, click, 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 click. Exactly, yep, yep, exactly. Yep, yep. And so they liked it so much that they called me back to do a, um, a series of promo pr for the school. And while I was doing that, uh, I was sharing my notes, what you know, my way to... In some way, translate the concept that the teacher were telling me in, in my own way, mm -hmm. and some of the students start to use my notes, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and so uh, all of a sudden, I found myself being an assistant of one of the teacher, helping student in there, and always apparently what I was good at was taking a complicated concept and make it very easy. Mm -hmm. uh, I, was, I was trying to make it easy for me, yeah, but in yeah, some yeah, way, yeah, yeah. Uh, by sharing it, I was making it easy for others. And one day in a classic, and, and you know, so silly to say, but having a shower, I realized that most of the examples that I was using, they were related to life experiences. Mm -hmm. And I started to think, well, after all, we always say that we are telling stories about human beings being humans, right? Mm -hmm. That's how we relate to the characters. Even when they are robots or monsters, they yeah, are yeah, humanized, yeah, yeah. right? And the best movies for me and the best directors uh, are the ones that are able to 
find little things that uh, as a human person you recognize as true. Uh, those emotional moments of transition, of realization that are uh, so important in life, uh, it's what movies are about, right? It's mm -hmm. always about a change. It's always about a discovery. And uh, I thought, well, after all, when I went to do a scouting or, I, or I'm writing a script and I'm, I'm describing the room of a character or something like that, I pick things from my experiences or, or from how my creativity tells me that character would behave and so forth. But my creativity is fed by the experiences that I have. Mm -hmm. And so I started thinking, well, actually it's all about our five senses. Uh, how we see things, mm -hmm. how we uh, uh, how we are able to hear things in in, in our world, uh, and and slowly I started to realize, well, there is an interesting concept here where mm -hmm. I can create a parallel between the five senses and life experience and saying, hey, if you pay attention to your way to perceive life mm -hmm. and to the events of your life, you're probably going to become a better filmmaker because you are going to tap into those elements. And so, you know, the vision clearly is how we perceive the world, how we see the world, and sound is, you know, kind of simple mm -hmm. how to imagine that. But then, of course, I was struggling with the other with the other senses. I was mm -hmm. saying, well, the touch. I remember when I was on a on a set early on in my career, and the actor asked me, "What can I touch?" Because the set was designed yes, to yes, be yes. what's real and what's, what's a fake piece of fake, wood right? that's been painted exactly. to look like so that. So can thing. I open that door? Can I sit yeah. on that chair? Yeah. And I was like, okay, touch is the production design. Touch yeah, is the, yeah, yeah. the all the elements of the object that you can have. Um, and then I, I, you know, I was trying to figure out uh, in, in terms of, of the taste, what could be the taste. And I was like, well, the taste is the taste. When yeah, you say yeah, you have a good taste about something, yeah, right? Your personal so sense. Your, your personal yeah. sense. And I thought, well, there is an exercise that I did when I was in school that still today I'm doing that... Um, shaped a lot of my of my taste shaped, mm -hmm. uh, helped me a lot in understanding when I was in my comfort zone or when I wasn't in my comfort zone when something that I liked I was liking it because it belonged to my taste or I didn't like because it, it didn't belong to my taste but mm -hmm. actually it was right for the start eventually so I started to to think in terms of, okay, if you know your taste and you're acknowledging it, you can also understand how to expand it and to appreciate things that eventually are not that simple. That reminds me of something I think about quite a lot is um, some quote. It was like, when you see genius in something else, it's because you're seeing genius in yourself. Like the yeah. things you love yeah. are because there's something inside of you that could be that beautiful. Absolutely. And that's why you see it as genius. So. That's why you're able yeah. to capture it, to see yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and the last one was, uh, I remember, it actually was the first chapter that I wrote because they asked me to... to um, it was the uh, toughest one for me. I was wondering where you're going to go with smell. smell. That was one I, I had I was no like, guess where and, you were going. And that was, I was stuck with the smell for the longest time. It was like, mm -hmm. you know, smell, what can I do with smell? And it's and, not a disappointment. That chapter was, uh, I think you landed the, the, the dismount. Well, the interesting thing was I discovered that we use the same word in, in Italy and here. Mm -hmm. When there is something that is a lie or someone is not, or a bad performance, mm -hmm. we said that 
it stinks, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. so I thought, well, there's something there. Why in two different countries we use the same metaphor, mm-hmm. senses metaphor, to describe the same thing? And then I did more researches, and in in Germany, in France, in in, mm-hmm. in many countries we use the same thing. I was like, okay, that's it. So mm-hmm. when we're talking about performance, when we're talking about acting, you need to use your sense of smell. And again, even there, I, I tried to figure out some exercise mm-hmm. to use it. And then, of course, I was thinking, well, always you talk about the vision of the director, right? So that is the sixth sense. Mm-hmm. That is the instinctive element. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the forward-moving feeling that the director brings to the have, project. And yeah. It's unique to you, to you as a director, your own vision, your own way to see the story. That was, you know, don't take this the wrong way. That was the least helpful chapter because it was <laughs> totally like, you got to figure it out. This yeah. is your journey. There's no book that can answer that question. Unfortunately, that, that's it. It's lots of questions, no many answers. Yeah. Yeah, that yeah. The, uh, questions that take lifetime, an entire lifetime Correct. to find the answer yeah. to, and the answer will change as you continue on. Absolutely. But um, I liked I liked the book a lot because um, I, I'm leaning too much on quotes today. But there's this this Buddhist quote thought exercise. If you have a stick, I will give it to you. If you don't have a stick, I will take it away. Ooh, like the, a lot of the books that I read on filmmaking are here's what the lenses do, here's how the shots fit together. Yours is a much more philosophical book. Like you got to learn how to think about the world. Yeah. You're you're hold if you're holding a stick, you have to be aware of it for yourself. And if you're not holding a stick, you have to learn that you're not holding a stick. It's on you put a lot of responsibility on the reader. Yes. Uh and, and yeah. I appreciate that. And I, I appreciate the the philosophical approach, the kind of more spiritual ideas you, that you, you that you put on the table I, with I your think book. That, that, that's a little bit one of the reasons why uh, and I'm 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 grateful that the the book is actually quite successful and now it's published in China and it's published in Italy and next month it will be published in France. Did you do the translation to Italian? Uh, no, actually, I I asked for someone to help me mm-hmm. because I realized that while I was translating it. Uh, my phrasing was uh, halfway through English and Italian. Ah, okay. So yep, yep, I, yep. I kind of lost uh, the 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 well uh, the, the ability to 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 phrase it in the right way. Yeah, yeah. And, You're too uh, close to this. Yeah, one. I was really too close. So someone helped me with that. Okay. Um, and I think that one of the reasons is that actually it's a unique book. I mean, you don't really don't yeah. find books that are no, about this. No, it is these. unique. I agree and, with you. And the goal is to open your senses, really, yeah, yeah. and say, hey, you, you can be a filmmaker. Anybody can be a filmmaker if you start to pay attention to the world in a certain way. Even before you pick up a camera, before you take your yes. first shot, you can start becoming a filmmaker by revising how you think about the world and Absolutely. how you perceive it. And that's why also I think it's important that reminds... I hope it reminds everybody that the technical element of shooting is not relevant at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can have the best technology, but if you don't have uh, a story and a way to use it, it means and, nothing. And an awareness of yourself and the world around you. That's, that's so much more important than... like Whether you're shooting on an iPhone or an Epic Red, you need <laughs> that sense of self Absolutely. and the world around you. Uh, yeah, I, I really enjoyed reading it. Um, can I give you the show? Of course. All right, here we go. Do you want to say Morpheus is fighting Neo again, or are you done with that? Uh, Morpheus is fighting Neo. Morpheus, Morpheus is, is fighting, fighting Neo. Neo. 
Okay, so um, now the show is mine. So I can ask you questions. You can do whatever you want. I am I am a guest, a humble guest. Okay. Happy to be here. You can, you don't okay. have to ask me questions. We can talk about anything. We can do whatever you want. Oh wow. Okay, this is interesting. Uh, okay. I'll, uh, I like the music, first of all. Oh, it's very, it's very neo, uh, neo. Uh... Not an accident. I am a total Matrix fan, one hundred percent. Sometimes I watch the Matrix and I think about uh, like how lucky we are that those films were finished before the 3D revolution happened. They really feel like films that were made to be 2D films, and I'm glad that they're 2D films. Yeah, I I cannot imagine what they could have, the complication and what they could have become if they were focusing and trying to make it in 3D with the uh, bullet shot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Complicated shots. But now that you're talking about The Matrix, let's uh, start from there. Okay. I am all in. I, so, um, I used the Matrix many times in my classes. I teach mm-hmm. at the Santa Monica College. Uh, I teach there um, uh, filmmaking, directing, and screenwriting. The first uh, one is a very tight film. It's almost perfect absolutely. in terms of structure, in terms of building scenes, building tension, releasing tension, twists, turns. It's a really tight film. It, it's a, it's one of those movies that you can see is as close as perfection as yeah. we can be. I yeah, think. yeah. Whether totally you like agree. the genre or not the genre, it's a, it's a perfect uh, delivery. Yeah, yeah, um, yep, yep. Now, mm-hmm. what happened to the second and the third? Do well, you have an opinion about it? Yes, I do. I have two opinions. The, the first is as a film goer and myself, I love all three films. Um, I think, okay, uh, here's something that's very important to me. I would rather see a bad film that's ambitious and personal mm-hmm. than a well-made film that is empty of ambition and empty of emotion. Okay. So the second two Matrix films are not technically perfect. They are not tight. The storytelling is not always clear. Uh, there are too many characters. There, There's a huge problem that uh, Smith and Neo are both godlike and cannot hurt each other at all. So the conflict is all but completely gone in the second film. And the third film, the conflict is so confusing and meaningless. It's all characters we never knew until halfway through the third film that there are huge problems but i love an ambitious personal project whether it's successful or not i love jupiter ascending Uh it's a personal deeply flawed project (laughs) uh but but i'd rather see somebody try and do something that hasn't been done before and fail completely than not try i i totally agree with that i totally agree uh i have uh also uh, I think that there is something to say about uh, daring to bring something new to the table mm-hmm. and eventually help someone else as a stepping stone to which to start instead of keep repeating ourselves as we yes. are doing now. Now pretty much is keep every every uh, every season and every year you watch the release from the year before the two years before it mm-hmm. seems a, to be the same exact year uh, in the in the studio world. Independence is where actually I think we, as a film goer, as I live now, yeah, I'm just yeah, waiting yeah. for new independent movies to come out because it's where something new can really surprise you. Yes. Uh, the studios are really relegating to do things that are not as uh, fascinating. There is, I think, I think there is a bit of a change 
Um, there, there, the new thing that's happening is the result of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. This is just my humble opinion. Um, those movies have been have become so complicated in the way they intertwine with each other that you have to watch 17 <laughs> other movies to understand this one movie. Uh, their structure is impossible now. The new Marvel Cinematic Universe movies have no structure whatsoever. They're, I think they're a mess. Like they're just, it's a mess of storytelling. They're exciting while they're happening, but they don't make any sense to me. That's, I think, the biggest new development in cinema is these very complicated universes that are terrible stories independently. Se, yeah. That's, yeah. Uh, yeah. So things are developing and changing, but uh, <laughs> if you want... I, I I agree with you. The most exciting story things are happening independently in yeah. single small films that <laughs> tell a story. That usually that's the reason why we we like to watch movies. And uh, I have a note about the Matrix because I, because I, I, I am always happy to talk about the Matrix. Uh, Let's talk more, especially the second one. The Let's talk about that. I love the second one so much. <laughs> I'm not even joking. I in my heart I love those films. Please. I I. I have a theory in terms of suspension of disbelief. Yes. And I always, and this is something that I share often with my students. And, and, uh, I say, if you think about it, suspension of disbelief is a threshold, right? Uh, it's something that we decide when we go to see a movie. First of all, I'm accepting that I'm going to be emotionally engaged in whatever I'm watching, mm-hmm. but that whatever I'm watching, I keep a line, I keep a threshold that beyond a certain level, I won't accept it. Yeah. And below a yeah. certain level, I accept anything. Yep, yep, yep. And that level is not always the same. If I'm going to see a movie called Superman, my threshold is that guy can fly and I accept yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, if I'm yeah. going to see The Shining... I'm accepting that there might be a ghost that opened that freaking door yeah, at yeah, some yeah. point, right? Uh, if I'm going to see Top Gun, I accept the mix. Uh, they always have their face covered, the pilot. Yeah. And if you're so, watching Goodwill Hunting, like you're expect- it's totally, totally different, different expectation. From- so it, it, the threshold is a barrier that we set up early on. If you don't know anything about the movie in the first few minutes, mm-hmm. uh, at least we, we start to have a, an idea. If you read about the story or we know the actors or we know the poster even, we, yeah, we set yeah. up at a certain level. And the problem for me comes when the filmmaker betrays or push me in a place that is beyond that threshold. And what I felt, my experience of watching uh, the second The Matrix was that they established a series of rules that were acceptable to my threshold mm-hmm. that Neo can be Superman in the uh, in the Matrix, but mm-hmm. he's a normal person in a, in a normal world, right? So he's me in in the normal yeah, world. He doesn't yeah, have yeah, superpower. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Your reason to connect with him exactly. is that he's a normal person uh, underneath and, it all. And in the world of fantasy that is in the Matrix, thanks mm-hmm. to his incredible brain uh, that eventually yeah. I could have too. Yes, uh, yes, He yes, can yes, be yes. Superman, right? Yes. In the second movie, towards the end, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. he stopped the freaking machine with his hand yep. and then they lost me. Yep, yep, yep. That's Until that moment, I could have bought, although it's, it's a, an exciting roller coaster with not much story but lots of plots, the, yeah. the second one. Oh, that's but true. But I, I yeah. bought it but then the... 
the moment they stopped the machine, I was like, okay, I'm out of it. Yep. <laughs> That's totally fair. I was more, my, my, my suspension of disbelief is more, um, emotional based. Like if I care, I will put up with any nonsense that happens logically in the film. But if I don't care, that's when the, the threshold <laughs> falls down to the floor it, immediately. And um, I think, I, I let me make this clear, I love The Matrix, all three of them, and I love The Animatrix too. Um, <laughs> they were nice too. Yeah, but when, when the two main characters become godlike, when nothing can hurt either of them, why am I an emotional part of the story? There's nothing, there's yeah. no consequences. It was, uh, the new, the s- new star Wars movie. Uh, uh did you last see Jedi? Yes, 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 yes. Uh, uh, princess Leia gets blasted yes. out of a spaceship yeah. and she should die. Yeah. She just swims back into the spaceship as if yeah. nothing happened at that point. There's no consequences. There's no reason for me to suspend my disbelief for this yeah. emotional journey. If, Princess Leia can float through space and survive it. Yeah. It, it yeah. becomes really silly and, and I get disengaged. I have no idea how they come up with that. I don't either. I, I, I really don't. It. Because actually, I, I have a, a, a very conflictual relationship. Oh, well, you know, I said before, Star Wars is oh, my favorite movie. Oh, right? I'm the Matrix. You're Star Wars. Like, you've yes. got that love that you can't let go, yeah, but you're also cannot, aware of the problems uh, oh, with it. Yeah, I'm, I'm suffering. Talk I'm to suffering me about now. it. When? Do, how did the first, uh, the, the, the Jar Jar Binks series oh. <laughs> go for you? How did that work? Um, well, um, the, the first one was, you know, um, episode one was a kind of a big disappointment. But mm-hmm. as, as a dear friend of mine put it, we spent uh, how many years? Like 24, uh, no, almost 20 years mm-hmm. by watching uh, Empire Strikes Back, the uh, New Hope or, or Return of the Jedi Um on VHS, on DVD, whatever yeah. we could put it our hands yeah, on. Yeah, yeah, And in the moment that you hear the music and you hear the sound of the lightsaber, even if the movie wasn't perfect, you felt home. Yeah, you oh yeah, You felt yeah, in yeah. the universe that you are missing so much yep. that finally you have something new to watch. Yep. And... So the suspension of disbelief was very high. Although you would have given still, them anything at that but point, was, was still quite disappointing. Um, and uh, was quite still disappointing also for later on. At, at that time when he came out, I wasn't a filmmaker, right? I was mm-hmm. just you know uh, a consultant. So later on, I had the time to go back and study why certain things didn't work for me. Uh, but definitely was not that good. I was very excited with the Attack of the Clone, the second mm-hmm. one. I thought that it was a definitely a gigantic improvement respect to the first oh, one. Oh, no doubt. It was uh, so much better I, than the I first one. I enjoyed it. it the, the, the final sequence with all the Jedi in Genesis, it was mm-hmm. it's a phenomenal sequence. Um, and and I, I really started to understand what he was doing with the character of Anakin and the dark side. I remember there was a scene uh, where um, after he re- tried to rescue his mother, he talks to Amidala and tells her, I killed them all. Yeah, no, I mean, I not just something. the men, but the women and the children too. Exactly. And, yeah. and, and I remember, first of all, that everybody criticized that actor. Actually, I thought it was actually a good actor, especially in that scene. He demonstrated mm-hmm. that he has the depth for that character. 
but also that it was a very interesting um, tragedy now that we are watching. So in terms of uh, understanding eventually the growth that it, the study could have, I was uh, very pleased with the direction it was going. Mm-hmm. And then the third one came in, and the third one was kind of a strange cook, uh, a, a strange recipe. Uh, some parts were very, very interesting. Uh, some parts were very, very silly. The, the romantic part that eventually was such a, important in the first and the second one, especially in the second one, in the third one, totally disappeared. Uh, later on, I discovered that there were many scenes with Amidala becoming part of the rebellion that were cut from the final movie and... I, we don't know. I don't know why, because actually, would have created much more conflict, much more interest in, in that character. Uh, recently, I discovered that a little detail that when in, in one of the drawing, the concept drawing, uh, based on a, on an early draft of the script, when Amidala confronts Anakin on uh, um, on the lava planet. Yeah. Uh, 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 she, uh, in this drawing, you can see that she has a knife. So she went there to kill him. Ah. That was the one of the original concept and the original script. And when they shot it, they decided it was too much. And for whatever reason, she's just there to beg him. And I was like, oh, my gosh, she was there to kill him. That was totally different thing. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. That's not too much. It's a space opera. It, yeah, it's exactly. okay if, it, it if was the a wife yeah, wants to kill to the kill. husband. That's Especially the husband is becoming that way. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. yeah. There's room for that in a space opera. So In any opera. There's so they, they also, you know, him injuring her. Mm-hmm. was designed to the point that she doesn't want to leave was designed because of the betrayal at that point yeah, it was much yeah, yeah. longer so I mean there were many things that I think in the end they cut out but they were kind of good the problem I have with that one it is still something that hurts me so much is the very ending that you have one of the most powerful moment of the entire new trilogy let's say that is the mask coming on Darth Vader face and his reaction and realization of what is happening to him mm-hmm. there's this close up of, of Anakin and the mask comes down and I remember that for a couple of seconds there is no sound at all the, the mask comes yep, down there yep, is the, yep. the, uh, the air is sucked out yep. and you don't hear anything and I remember the theater the hundreds of people were there. Nobody was breathing. And then when the breathing, you know, the famous breathing came out mm-hmm. of, of Darth Vader, it was such an emotional catharsis and yeah, reveal yeah, for yeah, everybody. Yeah, yeah. And then 10 seconds later, you have one they're, of the worst moments. No, they start history. talking about everything we already know in this story. Like they're giving information it, to the audience the that we have. And then he gets up and starts to scream, no. Yeah, yeah, and it becomes and very it, silly after that. And it was like, why? They could have taken off with the beautiful music from John William and would have been just emotional. Why repeating something that we didn't need to hear? We know exactly what happened. Mm-hmm. Three. Three for three. Uh, I love it. And... Uh, and also was very, very silly. It was so yeah, silly. Yeah, yeah. But eventually there is something wrong with all of us that we don't understand, or in George Lucas, they don't understand anymore all of us. Because in the new release of the Blu-ray of Return of the Jedi, he put the same no over Darth Vader throwing Palpatine down the shaft, the elevator shaft. So... <laughs> 
In the original version, you have just this close-up of the mask of Darth Vader looking at Luke Skywalker and at the Palpatine looking back and yeah, forth yeah, and yeah. deciding what to do. Now, when Luke Skywalker is hit by the lightning from Palpatine, you have Darth Vader screaming no. Oh, um, he just can't stop. Like he can't <laughs> stop making them sillier. I, I don't know. So that's how I was grateful in some way that someone took away the material. Yeah, but. Uh, I don't know if they know what they're doing really anymore. <laughs> I I will say that the two the, the new films they have made have been better than episode 1. So uh, I agree. That's uh, a small comfort for Star Wars fans, yeah. but um I I liked the third one. I liked episode 3 a lot and I will tell you why yeah. I liked episode yeah. 3. I really liked the I felt like it was being very satirical of politics how yes. uh how the powerful people sit in little in their apartments up in the sky talking about decisions that will affect millions and millions of people in this kind of dry flat oh yeah they don't care about any yeah. of it really i like those, the those scenes were beautiful yeah. i mean the scenes with uh, anakin and, and palpatine in that uh, in that part they were mm-hmm. they're very well written and uh, well crafted and also that that sequence at the beginning when they're chasing through the city and then they go through the bars uh, that's a good that's that's a well made <laughs> yes. sequence yes totally you ready to do it we're getting into the bowl you want to oh, get in let's go with the bowl you get the first bowl Okay. Thank you for hosting. I really do appreciate it. <laughs> Thank you. I love talking about these things. I can keep going forever. So I believe you. you. Wanna, oh, you, yeah, uh, I can. What have we got? What is your most comforting comfort food? Oh, my most comforting comfort food. I have many, actually. Okay. Uh, I would say... Um, uh, oh, Wow. I would say probably tiramisu. Interesting. <laughs> uh, my wife makes a killer tiramisu, and mm-hmm. and it's still my my favorite. And and if I have a scoop that I can get in the worst moment, mm-hmm. that will help me cheer me up. Okay, <laughs> definitely. It dispels stress. It it leaves it, you less oh, stressed yes, out. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's a, it's a really every bite is. Uh, Make you feel what so good. I'm, I'm less classy than you. I, Reese's peanut butter cups have that same <laughs> effect on me. What, whatever it works. If, if it works, it, it works. Yes. And tea. Hey, what? Tea. Tea, tea is where tea, I go. That's my definitely. first stop. Yeah, yeah. And tea, if that doesn't work, then Tea I helps go. a lot. Tea yeah. helps a lot. Tea also is a ritual, I think. The, the way there that is ceremony to all it, of yeah, it. It's, uh, if, you, if you care to make it right, you know that you need to pay attention to those little details. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, there's, really there's beautiful ceremony to, to tea. I agree. Definitely. Like, uh, there's, a, there's a difference between playing something on your iPod and putting an actual record on an actual <laughs> record player. Absolutely. That's the difference between a cup of juice from the fridge and a cup of tea, yeah. in my mind. I, I realized recently, I, I, uh, we we found a, a place where um, we just got recently uh, a, a house, and uh, there were uh, a few rocker, a few records left by the previous owner, mm-hmm. and so I started to play them, and I started to realize that we have lost the um, the art of, of listening to a record. Uh, we we it's so easy to mix everything right now because you just put any you know, application and then mm-hmm. choose the songs for you. But the craft of listening to a record that has a certain sequence, the songs are put in a certain sequence. Yep, yep, yep. To the A side certain... is one journey and the B exactly. side is another journey yes. and they are designed 
uh, and we listen less to music, I think. Yes. Because when when you you know that in 10 minutes you need to get up and turn it or, or yep. do something, it it was a more committed process to now I'm listening to music. Yep. Now yep. I'm yep. aware of the presence of music instead of keeping it in the background. All and the you're time. making a commitment to 20 minutes when you put on a record. <laughs> yes. It's not it's not a song among thousands and thousands of songs. It's Absolutely. a 20 minute set of songs that go together in an order. Absolutely. I yeah. couldn't agree with you more. I love records. <laughs> records are my comfort food. My turn. Let's see what I get. Go for it. What's the most honest thing you can say from the heart? Don't think, just answer. Um, believe in yourself. Your turn. Absolutely. That's the, the most important thing for me. I believe you because you said that at the beginning yeah. and you said it somewhere in the middle. Is that one of yours? This is mine. So, yeah, let's. Uh, I think we discussed that one enough. You can get okay. another. Go for another one. I'll go deeper here in yes. the bowl. Oh, we go deep on the Hollywood fishbowl. Yeah, I can see that there is a history here. Yes. And you're a part of that now. Thank you. <laughs> I really do appreciate it. I'm, I'm so glad to get to know you. It's been a joy. Uh, it's been a real pleasure. We're not here. done yet, but I do want you to know that I'm so happy that you came over. Is there another language you can speak or accent you can do for us? Uh, well, uh, yeah, I can speak Italian, of course. Do you have a third one? Uh, I used to study French, mm -hmm. so sometimes I can I can uh, uh, hear, I can understand a few words, mm -hmm. but I always hated languages. Actually, <laughs> it was uh, it was my worst uh, nightmare when I was studying that I really didn't like it. Did uh, you have to go to language school when you got to America, or was it just? I, uh, yeah, we actually my education in, in English really was so poor mm -hmm. that when I discovered that we I won the festival, this was uh, in February two thousand four. The last train, the last opportunity to come was in November 2004. And we waited that long so that we could invest six months in mm -hmm. studying. Because coming here without knowing enough of the language would have been just a waste of time. Yeah. So yeah. I wanted to be as as ready as, as I could. So, yeah. When you got here, were you overwhelmed at all by the slang? Like when you do a class, it's it's a, a fixed language that you're being taught. But when you get into the real environment, it's a mess. Yeah. People are talking how people are trying to talk in unique and new ways to stand out. So yeah, I remember discovering that for whatever reason, uh, I could understand better my uh, classmates. They were coming from um, Illinois and. Uh, what was the other state? There was another city that were talking kind of you know, slower for mm -hmm. me, and I couldn't understand them, despite the one that were coming from Florida or from Georgia. Mm -hmm. Those were very complicated. Yeah. But also, I remember having trouble with, when I, we were looking for um, uh, apartment to rent, because every time they were saying, oh, it's a $1,200 per month. And for me, 1,200 wasn't a number. A number is 1,200. Yes, 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 so yes. So 1,200, yes. what kind of number is that? So yes. I always had to ask them to write it somewhere because I couldn't understand what kind of number it was. Mm -hmm. uh, so that was a very big obstacle, I remember. It happens that um, if I'm talking about yen, I lived in Japan for 10 years. Oh. And when talking about money in Japan, it's easier for me to talk in Japanese because their whole numbering system is completely different from English. Oh, wow. Where it's like, 
Oy. No, don't worry about it. There's no way to get into it uh, without a, a chart and graph and whiteboard and explanation. Your turn. Wait, was that no, yours? No, Is it my turn? turn. Yeah, turn. Don't, don't try to steal my turn no, from no, me. No. Good Lord. What kind of guest are you? Oh, this is long. What's the movie or show from history you wish you could have been the one to make? Dead Poet Society. Really? Yeah. Interesting. Why that uh, one? Um, well, uh, I believe that there are movies that we like because we just like them. And there are mm -hmm. movies that affect you because you watch them in the right moment of your life. Mm -hmm. And that's why I always I say my, my three movies are the one that affected in my life. Uh, Star Wars was the first one. That point society, I watched it when I was a teenager and inspired me to Carpe Diem, right? To mm -hmm. seize the mm -hmm. day. But I didn't. I, I didn't seize the day. I actually, you know, in some way found a way to, to, to go in another direction. And uh, the third movie for me that I have some meaning is actually American Beauty because I, I watched it when I was uh, an adult and in, a, in a period of life where I was going through some personal challenges. And mm -hmm. that movie kind of told me, well, it's never too late to seize the day. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's never too late to realize that you sabotage yourself. You need to kind of wake up. Um, there is a quote from, from a, a book and, and a movie called Dune Mm -hmm. uh, that I love that is that says that the sleeper must be awakened and uh, it's always been part of me the desire to never fall asleep so uh, uh, going back to that point society that movie uh, represented for me a great inspiration when I was young uh, and still today um, there is one of the best speeches that I've ever seen in my life that is uh, about why we love poetry and why we love arts and how all the other disciplines that are um, noble, they help to sustain life, but love arts is life itself. And um, that sense of inspiration that comes from how do you want to contribute to your life and everybody's life, it's your choice. And I remember at the end of this beautiful speech, the teacher looks up to the student and says, so what will your verse be? And that's something that I always do in my class. I end my first class showing that scene and asking my students, okay, you want to be a filmmaker, how are you going to contribute to this life with, yeah. with, this, uh, with your verse? You reminded me, I read the Bible for some fun sometimes. There's a, towards the end of Mark, Jesus is thinking about the future and he says like the, the world will crumble. Every brick that was ever put on top of another brick will fall to the ground eventually, but I will come back. Um, so like a, a watchman who watches a watchman who keeps a castle at night, stay awake. And I love that. Like it's all going to fall apart. So stay awake. Yeah, Don't yeah, sleep through yeah, any of it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Great. Do you want to ring the bell? Okay. Go. Okay. So I'm going deep in the you ball made again. You think of that. What was? Oh, what was? What was the book that you quoted? Your stay awake. What was your version of stay Dune. awake? Dune. Dune. Yeah. Yes, yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I got oh. two. Let me. I'll. Uh, your. Oh, these are both. <laughs> We've done them before. 
oh, what is the best meet cute story you've ever heard? I think I heard a really good meet cute story on this podcast. Meet cute? What does it mean, meet cute? Meet cute is in uh, romantic comedies when the two lead characters bump into each other outside of a store and they drop their bags. Or perhaps a student journalist is uh, <laughs> pressing teachers about cheating and then he finds that a girl has posted his articles to the wall of her bedroom would be a, a meet cute story. I, I think that, that I will... I will, I will vote for that one definitely i, I did like that yes. cute story yes. quite a bit oh they do wait no, no it's, it's my yours. turn yes. Yes. what villain would you like to be and why oh what villain 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 wow there are so many interesting one i don't know if interesting is the right term There's a big question on my mind when I'm watching movies, and that question is, is the villain right? Like in Whiplash, uh, uh, what's his name? J.K. Simmons? J.K. Simmons, yeah. He's right. You have to push. Yes. He might be right. By the end, he did it. Yeah, yeah. By the end, he succeeded in what he wanted to achieve. In uh, like Dark Knight Rises, the Joker. Yes, He he might not be right by the average person's life, but he's right. The way he perceives the world is actually uh, sure, correct. Right, From start yeah. to finish, he has formed a worldview that is very complicated and uh, correct. Correct. Yeah. 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 Uh, that, that's why I think that that's, that movie is uh, is about the Joker. Is not Batman. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's, the, totally, it's, it's totally, totally about, about the Joker. Joker. But when I see like a like a Lex Luthor trying to blow up the Earth or something, that villain is not correct. Or James Bond villains yeah, often the, aren't. They're, correct in yeah, their ambitions they're, they're much more superficial yeah and, yeah and they they, they just uh, serve the purpose of how to um make the antagonist uh, uh in some way um make the protagonist look better <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's yeah. that's the only goal um, i was thinking about some of the villains that i really liked and you know Classically and easily for me, I would say you know that Vader is definitely a, a beautiful character to think mm-hmm. about. Um, but I was thinking actually another one that made me think uh, is Belloc from Raiders of the Lost Ark. Belloc, Belloc, he's the, the antagonist, the competitive archaeologist. Correct. Yeah. yeah, because he, he um, really. Uh, has a point of view on uh, uh, you know uh, finding the the, the the arc and and the reason why mm-hmm. and mostly the role that they have in history uh, as men of a certain time um, respect to the role of history itself mm-hmm. that it was quite interesting and uh, I found I found fascinating for a moment especially when At the very end, uh, there is the moment where they're moving the ark to the temple where they're doing the ceremony, mm-hmm. and Indiana Jones is ready with the bazooka, ready to blow it up, and Belloc says, "Do it." Yeah, go it. ahead, go ahead. I'm, and he doesn't. Yeah. And of course, I, he doesn't. He and, can't. And, and because he knows him so well, because they're one and the same. Yeah, they yeah. may use different methods, but their their passion is true and it's real. So. Uh, probably one of my favorite characters to create is someone like that. Someone that yeah. in some way, uh, it's really a mirror of the protagonist mm-hmm. uh, and is slightly different uh, or, or more 
With less work ethic, eventually. Yes, if you want. Raiders of the Lost Ark holds a special place in my heart because it's the last film I saw that I was surprised when it turned out the antagonist was letting the protagonist do all the hard work and just like letting go. Yeah, and and the 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 antagonist is following ten feet behind the antagonist the whole movie, and then he's like, "Hey, yeah, you found the ark for me. Thank now you. I'm going to take it from you." Yeah. Uh, since then, it cannot surprise me anymore. Anytime that happens, and it happens but, a know, lot in, in that movie. Besides. Recovering the Ark, mm-hmm. Indiana Jones fails at everything. You know, the, the first statue that he wants, Belong gets it. Yep, you know, yep. he's after the, the Ark, and at the end, they, they put the Ark in, a, in Area 51, right? They, mm-hmm. they hide the Ark in the, in the... And so he doesn't get the Ark. The, the, the most important thing that he should get is the girl, and that, that's what he got. And Although he doesn't seem to be much impressed about it, but... But he, he he fails at everything else, and she's she's his goddamn partner. <laughs> Such a good scene. Yes, uh, your turn. Yeah, that's my turn. Okay, yeah. That's a good movie. That's a perfect movie. That's a yes, Spielberg. That's another, he that's he tells movie. efficient stories. Yeah. He can pack a lot in yeah. a little space. What kind of flower would you be? <laughs> what kind of flower? Oh, because I'm allergic to, to, to pollens. That sounds like a cruel really, question. Yeah, this is uh, not a very good one. Your very enemy, the, the antagonist, the mirror version yeah. of you is a flower. Um, I, I don't know. The, the first flower that came up in my mind when I heard the question was uh, the mimosa. Uh, the, the yellow flower. Uh-huh. Uh, because I'm one of the most, it's one of the flowers that I'm the most allergic to. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, uh, I don't know, but, but because that was the inspiration, maybe that, that's the right answer. Maybe in some way that could be, uh, who I am. It's so intense and, 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 uh, uh, have a very strong season, right? Yeah. You, you yeah. notice it when you're around it. So maybe, maybe that is the answer. Perfect. We'll do maybe one or two more. And then, wow, we have been chatting a long time. Oh, too long. I don't no, know that was no, it. no. There's no such thing as too long. What is something you do that you think everyone else should be doing? <laughs> What's like a, a day-to-day thing? Well, <laughs> uh, a day-to-day thing. Um, something that I do that everybody should be doing. I got mine. Uh, go for it and then I'll add something. I get up at five o'clock in the morning and I do my writing until people start calling or emailing. But from like five o'clock to nine o'clock, I can usually go straight through without people bothering me. So get get up at five that, o'clock. That's a good discipline. And don't yeah. bother anyone in that time. Do the stuff that you need to get done for yourself for the day, knowing that the rest is going to be a, a mess. I'm not that disciplined. I, I'm, I'm actually, I think, allergic also, not to flower, but also to um, uh, kind of... Uh, Repetition in some way. Really? Yeah. Strange, I live by repetition. Strange enough, I was a consultant in an organization. I was teaching other companies how to follow procedure. Mm-hmm. But the first one to break them, break them was me. Mm-hmm. So I always was good at writing them and then never following the procedure. Uh, still today, I, I, I need, I need something to change. Um, I would say that probably one of the things that I tried to do, Still today, kind of every day, 
is um, find a moment that uh, a little bit I take a breath for one minute or two and I just look around wherever I am. And mm-hmm. I try to have a different perspective in what I'm seeing in that moment. Uh, it usually comes when I'm very frustrated, when I'm at the, 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 the verge really of, of being mad about something. Mm-hmm. I try to take a, a deep breath and look around and finding whatever you want, looking around something unexpected that makes me think, oh, you see, if I didn't take this breath, I wouldn't miss that mm-hmm. moment. It could be, I like still photography a lot. So it could be a picture that I'm taking. It could be a, a sunset. It could be another person in a car. It could be whatever mm-hmm. that in some way make me feel, you know, don't let the stress take the best out of you. Kind of. Good Lord. If you have a stick, I will give it to you. <laughs> if you don't, I will take it away. Like you're, you are very much about awareness of where you are in the world and the beauty of the world around you. Uh, I, I try, I try that, that, that would be my, my goal, but you know, that it's a, it doesn't happen all the time. Yeah. It's easy to talk about it. And, yeah. to make and it even if you only get like a, a moment, a day of that awareness, that's better than no moments in the day of that awareness. Uh, absolutely. Uh, I have uh, several cats at home. Mm-hmm. and uh, What are their names? Oh, my. Uh, the first one is Roomba. Mm-hmm. He's the older one. Uh, called Roomba because the first day she ran under a uh, couch and came out of full of dust. <laughs> so that's the name. Um, and then uh, we have Panda. There's black and white. Um, we have Sutika. There's another black and white. Um, we have Lion, this gigantic, uh, fearful <laughs> mm-hmm. cat that fears everything. Uh, Jack, um, and, uh, um, uh, Jack and Candy. Yes. Excellent. Yeah. These are the six cats. And are those, you were going to tell a story about them before I interrupted just, I would you. say that sometimes they... even just, uh, you know, a cat that is pouring, mm-hmm. uh, and taking the time to, uh, observe their reaction when you're petting them and how they stretch, how they they enjoy that moment. Or mm-hmm. just when they sleep, sometimes they have this incredible expression of, of serenity that mm-hmm. is really, sometimes I, I'm able to try, or I try to capture it and, and, mm-hmm. and bring it into me. So that's kind of the idea. Your turn or my turn? I don't remember. Let's do one more and I'll let you bowl the last one. Thank you. We'll give that a little ding and then we will wind down. Not that I want to. We're just... um, What have we got? Last one. This is going to be the one that closes out your episode. Thank you so much for coming on. All right. This is very specific. It's already difficult. What is your... Have you been to Little Tokyo? It's a district in downtown LA. Uh, yes, I think. Uh, yes, Chinatown, right? Is that? It's near oh, Chinatown, no, no. but there is yeah, like a Little Japan Tokyo town. Is the other one on yeah. the other side. Yeah, uh, yeah yes, yeah. have been there. What is your vision of what Little Tokyo will be in 2038? <laughs> let's go. Let's go to LA. Uh, Blade Runner is okay. right there, <laughs> so it's uh, it's uh, it's kind of an inspiring vision mm-hmm. uh, in some way. Uh, uh, well, you know, the, the, with that movie there, it, it's not difficult to have an image or mm-hmm. an idea that that could be the world. Uh, I don't know if, uh, I have to say, 
I don't want to close on this note. Okay, but, okay. So we, we need to find another answer. <laughs> I'll make it quick. Um, unfortunately, I've been in that area recently. And the vision that I have, if I keep going this way, is uh, um, a gigantic uh, um, uh, homeless uh, uh, land. Oh, absolutely. That's unfortunately what I see happening right now over there. In downtown uh, LA? Yeah, downtown absolutely. LA. The only Especially people- that area over there is... Is massive. Right the now. only people who can afford property there are people who are too rich to live there. So they'll just buy up apartments and leave them empty yeah. until, and the price will keep going up and yeah. the number of houses per person will keep going down. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And nobody's really going to live there anymore, I think. No, no, no. It's uh, tough times for downtown LA yeah. are coming. Yeah. yeah. Um, mm-hmm. I, I hope that the city council can. <laughs> Learn how to control rent in in this city because there are too many multimillionaires just buying houses and leaving them empty as an investment, knowing that in ten yeah. years, twenty years, it'll double yeah. in value and in theory. We are, we are keep we are keep building new apartments, uh, and the rent is is skyrocketing now. Yes, so, yes, yeah. yes, 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 yes. Let's let's. Let's finish on a positive note. Okay. Let's find. I'm. We're gonna go. I'm not gonna stop until we find a, a question okay, that can a good, end happy. A good note. No, we're not talking about irrational fears. Okay. No. Not talking about unpopular opinions. Oh wow. Actually, if you want to have it, no, oh, no, it depends. If I want to know your unpopular opinion. What is your unpopular opinion? Uh, I think that the. The true change that we need in our society is not coming through political correctness, but it's through mm-hmm. through, through sharing uh, common ideas and values. Mm-hmm. And try to hide the people that don't have the same values under the rug, uh, forcing them to be politically correct when actually they have different ideas and different thoughts, doesn't make them go away. Uh, yeah. What we need, I believe, is education. We need to invest in school. We need to invest in in uh, in uh, the part of education that make good citizen, and yes. then everything else will become much more easier than whatever we have tried so far. Uh, sometimes political correctness, I call it also in my world hypocrisy. Uh, in the world that I come in, the tradition I come and you know, being raised Catholic, mm-hmm. we know a lot about hypocrisy, and I think that uh, sometimes we the threshold between. Being politically correct because you want to be kind and respectful and politically correct because uh, uh, it's convenient uh, and and force others to think the way that you want mm-hmm. instead of, of having the real transformation is a shortcut that doesn't lead anywhere. I, I don't disagree with you. I think about that a lot sometimes. Another side of that is... Um, it, uh, Part of political correctness is word policing, which I think I feel is annoying, but but it doesn't cost me anything to find better words. Mm-hmm. There's it, it, it language is free. You can always find a better way to say what you want to say. So the 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 word the word censorship gets under my skin a lot. Uh, but if it costs me nothing to do a better job of how I speak, Absolutely. I'm happy to pay that price. <laughs> I agree. Um, 
but when we we burn so many calories on discussing how we should discuss things that we don't have energy left to discuss the things <laughs> that's when we've lost that's when it's it's totally stupid in my mind uh, i agree totally um, agree yeah that was light and uplifting <laughs> and really <laughs> let's go no but i do i do agree with you and i i i agree with you on some things and I disagree with you on other things and I respect you and I'm so <laughs> grateful that you're here and I appreciate all your thoughts and your insights and thank you for Thanks writing so a book. It's, it's uh, Thank you for uh, having me here and giving me the time to talk. <laughs> Let's do the close down music. We have a little bit of music. Okay. Here we go. This has been the Hollywood Fishbowl and I've been your host, Jesse Kester. I will continue to be Jesse Kester as long as I live. So help me God. If you liked what you heard, you can find us on the web at www.hollywoodfishbowl.com or you can find us on Instagram and Twitter at HWFishbowl. But it is not about us. It's about our guest. If people liked what they heard, where can they find you? Oh, they can find me uh, on many places, actually. Mm -hmm. There is an internet site called www.sibamedia.com. Can you spell that? S-I-B-A. Okay. M-E-D-I-A dot com is uh, kind of my hub mm -hmm. uh, and then uh, I would say on Amazon for my book mm -hmm. uh, The Director Six Senses and uh, um, Amazon also for my movie Run uh, mm -hmm. if you want to watch it in 3D the Blu-ray ver Blu version is in 3D and there is some behind the scenes awesome awesome and I, I'm just going to say from the bottom of my heart thank you for coming on it's so good to know you thank you for having me here Bye. Thank you. Bye. Ciao. Uh.